There is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening and welcome to America Can We Talk. Thanks so much for tuning in. Glad to have you join us. I want to talk tonight about something that, honestly, I think only female radio hosts should talk about, and because I don't think many male radio hosts be comfortable doing it, and I think it really matters to understand. The show is always about preserving America, the most precious, important country on earth. And in America, in this last week, many of us have read the news of the arrest of two doctors and the wife of one of the doctors, so three people totaled in the Detroit area, and this would be the first federal prosecution in the United States of America for female genital mutilation, or commonly referred to as FMG, female genital mutilation, and why FGM, sorry. And the reason that I want to talk about that is because it touches on a lot of issues we talk about on this show. By a very quick way of background, uh, in Detroit, these uh, two doctors were arrested and a woman, the, the wife of one of them, for a... Um, engaging in this surgery, uh, which is almost always done without any anesthesia at all, uh, on two young seven-year-old girls. And this is an ancient custom in some places in Africa that is actually predates the founding of Islam and the founding of Christianity, but involves the actual other four various, I'm not going to get specific, I promise, don't turn the station, but four different degrees by which in which this surgery is done. But the bottom line goal is to, to remove the potential for a woman, as, she, as a young girl grows into a woman, to actually be able to have normal adult intimacy, have pleasure in normal adult intimacy. Why this is about America? Let me just explain to you why. First, you'll notice in this case that the doctors uh, tried to cover it up. They were involved in a conspiracy. They told the parents and the young girl um, involved that she was not to um, tell their parents, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone. And um, it's excruciating. And it is something that was attacked in the um, by United Nations a few years ago. But this is the first case in America. And it matters because it touches on some issues, which I will now name. One, we have in America had a conversation on and on about whether or not we need to say in America that Sharia, Islamic law, must be specifically attacked in states. We must have absolutely clear um, laws that say you cannot follow Sharia in America. We have one law, we have in America, one set of laws, American law for American courts, and this is a good example. Now, I know there are defenders of this, these two doctors and defenders of Islam who say this practice has nothing to do with Islam, uh, which is a false statement. And I'm just going to give you two examples, and, and there are many more to give you. Uh, one is that there is a, um, a book called Reliance of the Traveler. It is. I read about this and heard about it in, in talks. This is in every mosque in the world. It is the classic manual of, of Islamic sacred law called Reliance of the Traveler. And this is a book that's in, in, in English in a mosque in America. It's all over the world. It is, you know, t- to use an odd analogy, the Bible. It is the list of rules. It specifically says circumcision is obligatory for every male and female. They describe what they do to the male. For the female, they say, and circumcision of the female is by cutting off the clitoris. 
That's what it says. In addition, this is put out by the Sheikh Mohammed Salih al-Munajid, and he lists sources of Islamic law. He's actually written an article saying in the modern time, some people say in Islam we can't do this anymore because it's inconsistent with Western standards. It's not permissible. And he runs through hadith that make very clear. Hadith are the traditional account of things said or done by Muhammad. They make very clear this is required. It is permissible. It is acceptable in Islam. And so I'm not saying it happens to every Muslim family in America. I will tell you that in this world we live in today, 200 million girls and women alive today have undergone this. An estimated 3 million uh, more are at a risk every single year of having this happen. It usually happens between the ages of 5 and 15. And there are 30 countries where it's very common. And of those 30 countries, 8 of them 80% of the women, uh, females in those countries, have had this done to them. And the reason I raise this is this. It does matter in America that we insist on Western values. It does matter that we say you cannot follow Sharia in America. It also is a great window on the hypocrisy of the American left. You have the National Organization of Women hysterical because someone called a woman her instead of ter. This kind of stuff is happening, and they've just silent. The, the mainstream media, can you imagine if this was a Christian church that did this? Can you just imagine the hysteria? But this is, they're so careful not to ever want to insult Islam that this is happening and, and there's barely a sound out of it except from the conservatives. There's also a signal there about the way Islam looks at women. Men can have four wives. Women are not supposed to really have pleasure even after married as an adult. And so I'm just, I want to raise all this to say this is a very tough issue, and I'm not done talking about it, but I'm done for tonight talking about it. When we come back from the break, I want to talk to you about what's happening in the sanctuary city battle. But I raise this FGM thing because women need to speak up for other women. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. America Can We Talk. Don't go away. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. 
The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties. And in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. Hi, this is Debbie George Addis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. This is Debbie George Addis. Thank you so much for tuning in. I do want to add two quick points to my first five tonight. We talked in the first five about the arrests of Muslim do- two Muslim doctors in Detroit, as well as the wife of one of them, for being involved in this um, FGM, female genital mutilation. I want to mention two a- other points. I think it's so important to understand about this because it's such a cringy subject, and everyone just kind of just, I didn't want to think about it, and, you know, it, it's painful to talk about. Imagine if you have to experience it. But what I wanted to add on to is this. The willingness of these doctors to deceive the uh, families, to deceive law enforcement, is part of the problem. When this uh, investigation, and by the way, this investigation started in 2005. 2005. We're now in 2017. So they've been accumulating evidence of what's been happening all these years. There are many more cases coming, according to law enforcement officials and other activists in this area. They happened to get very clear evidence via text messages of what was happening in this, the case of these two girls. 
but it's, it's, there will be more cases coming. But when they were first being questioned, the doctor who performed this, you don't even want to call it surgery because that sounds like something nice to try to help someone who's got a problem, but performed this hideous, painful procedure. Uh, she grossly misrepresented that she'd barely done anything. It was, it was a woman doctor. Imagine being educated enough to be a doctor and still thinking it's okay to do this. But she misled the investigator, say hardly anything happened. She barely even, you know, just didn't, it wasn't, it was kind of more a symbolic thing. It wasn't a substantive thing. However, upon examination, the authorities reported that she had, you know, grossly misrepresented what had been done to these girls. It was not just a minor little procedure. She had done major damage. And if you at all are leery of this sounds like something just picking on people, I encourage you to Google that topic or Google the Muslim doctors in Detroit being arrested for FGM and understand what's happened. The other point about it was this, again, is a doctor who's a woman who's smart enough to be a doctor. She lives in America. She obviously knows we have a system of laws in America. It was more important to her to fulfill what she understood to be Islamic requirement on these young girls than to follow American law. She knew she wasn't supposed to be doing this, which is why she lied. So this notion that people could be more, have more allegiance to Islam, to Sharia, than to American law is not, is not a, you know, a superfluous, it's not a, a small consideration. This is a doctor who, I would think most doctors would say, you know what, can't do that here, not allowed here. She's been engaging in it. So I just want you to understand, this, these cases will go, will go on. There are 26 states where there's no specific law prohibiting this. Really, in all states, probably never used to think they need to do, have that kind of law, but now we know we do. Okay, so I'm going to turn to you about sanctuary states. Um, you know, this is so interesting. I thought it was a brilliant thing that a uh, sheriff in California did. So President Trump, as you well know, uh, issued an executive order very early on his presidency. I think it was like January 26th or something. Anyway, essentially saying we're going to cut off funds to sanctuary cities. And it's one of his campaign themes. He talked frequently about we can't have lawlessness. We have to actually have people following the law. And, you know, we can't have whole big cities and areas that, that don't follow the law. So there was naturally a lawsuit filed, and um, in California, the federal district court judge who struck down Trump's executive order um, happens to be, his name is uh, District Judge William Oreck, um, Northern District of California. But first of all, he's an Obama campaign, not just donor, but bundler, raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for President Obama. So he's, you know, he's a lefty, which is unsurprising because he got appointed by uh, Obama. But he um, not only ruled that that Trump's order was ineffective or was unconstitutional, but he made, which is his, he can do this. He said this is applicable across the country, cannot be um, applied anywhere, this, uh, this executive order. But a really funny thing happened on the way to reality here, which was um, I want to urge you to read this because it's a, a you know it's a legal thing that that is a great description i'm gonna give you a quick summary of it here and we're going to post it on the america can we talk facebook page and on our website but it's called why this judge's ruling won't block federal action on sanctuary cities and the long and short of it was the judge you have to think intentionally overstated what president trump's order said he overstated what the order said so that he could find it was too broad, 
when he's the one that overstated it. And the actual provisions that were in the order, the actual section of law and the provisions in the executive order, are already ones that require, in order to get grant funds from the federal government, require states to recite that they indeed follow uh, federal immigration law. I mean, it was so. It, the bottom line of this is this order by this judge in the Northern District of California was symbolic and meaningless. He just wanted to take a shot at President Trump, just wanted to say, you, can, you know, you can't say that we're going to stop you. But it will not have impact at, hardly at all on President Trump's choices moving forward dealing with uh, this lawlessness. But what I want to tell you is, is a very cool thing that this um, – sheriff did in California, because in California, it's not just that the major cities are sanctuary cities, you know, San Francisco, I assume LA, I don't know about San Diego, but I guess it, whatever. But the state of California, the actual state is considering having itself designated a sanctuary state. And I'm sure you know, but in case you don't, sanctuary just means that the Officials, law enforcement officials, will not cooperate with the federal government, will not cooperate with ICE, will not cooperate with the federal immigration people when they arrest someone who is not legally here. They will not turn people over who may then and then end up being deported because they don't like our immigration laws. They have this whole amnesty mode, just let them all in, stay in. So what this judge, this uh, sheriff did in Ventura County, which is just north of um, Los Angeles— uh, Ventura County Sheriff, he just, you know, I, I should back up and say, many sheriff's departments have actually said to the state of California, please don't do this. I mean, you know, the, the, we, some of these people have got to go. You can't, you shouldn't stop us from cooperating with the federal government and get these people out of here. Now, granted, other law enforcement people and police departments have taken the other side. But here's what this Ventura um, County Sheriff's Department did. They actually put up on their website, and I have available to anyone who wants to see it, a list of the rap, a rap sheet of all the actual Ventura County inmates recently detained by ICE. So they're kind of giving you a real picture. And instead of this you know, poor guy who ran a stop sign, now he's going to get uh, sent back to Mexico. Instead, what they did, they listed inmate number one, current arrest, felony domestic violence. Okay, let me make clear. A lot of domestic violence ends up being pled out as a misdemeanor. In fact, even charged only as a misdemeanor. If it's felony, this is a bad guy. Felony domestic violence. Prior arrest, drunk driving, stealing a vehicle, hit and run. Um, under the influence of a controlled substance. Okay, inmate number two, current arrest. Felony domestic violence. Prior arrest, felony domestic violence twice. Assault with a deadly weapon. Child endangerment. Illegal entry. Uh, inmate number three, current arrest, felony domestic violence, false imprisonment, resisting arrest, kidnapping, prior arrests, sexual battery, burglary, robbery, false information to a peace officer, stealing a vehicle, kidnapping. These are false. Okay, I could go on and on. This goes page after page after page, listening the inmates trying to make the point that if you're the sheriff, you want these guys removed, not just from your county lockup. You want them deported. Everyone wants them deported. Law-abiding citizens want them deported. He's trying to make the point, instead of this la-la land picture that lefties try to paint of some hapless poor guy who happened to run a stop sign, now he's getting sent away. 
He's pointing out these are bad guys. Why, state of California, are you even thinking of protecting them? Why are you making it harder for us to turn them over to ICE? It, it is a great question. So I really do, um, I urge you to, uh, I'm going to, again, put these up on the America Can We Talk website and also on the America Can We Talk Facebook page. We have a great Facebook page thing going, by the way. And while I have a, a minute here at, before, I want to mention something we started uh, and explain it a little better. So on this show, America Can We Talk, we have a 24-hour studio line. And the phone number for it is 214-556-5659. You can leave questions 24 hours a day. But, my happy friends, it's really good to try to leave it a minute or less because I can't can't play the long ones. I mean, if I have a show, I promise you, if I end up getting a show two hours a day, five days a week, I'll play the long ones. But I'd love if you want to call, leave questions or comments about the show, about a guest coming up. Again, 214-556-5659. So back to our, our sheriff situation. I thought it was a brilliant idea to kind of give it a reality check to the California legislature um, about what it is they're doing because they're inflicting danger on citizens in their own communities. So when we come back, we have a guest joining us to tell us in straight out plain English what is the story on President Trump's budget that he has presented. We're going to have joining us Dr. Vance Ginn of the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Brilliant guy. Don't go away. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are tens of thousands of Heritage members and supporters in North Texas alone. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates on the fight for America from Heritage President Jim DeMint, plus exclusive invitations to conservative events right here in Dallas or wherever you are in America. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, Go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. 
our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties. And in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie George Addis. I have my Right View Roundtable joining me now this, with this upcoming interview. I have Jenny McGarry, Mari Sullivan, and I believe we have on the phone uh, a just a wonderful, stellar participant at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, Dr. Vance Ginn. Hello, sir. Hi, Debbie. How are you? Great. I'm happy to have you on. I did not get a chance before we got going in this um, segment to tell our listeners very quickly about you, if I may. But as Dr. Vance again is a Ph.D. economist at the um, Center for Fiscal Policy at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, TPPF, my just all time wonderful. I'm so impressed with that think tank. Just love them. And um Dr. Ginn graduated with honors from Texas Tech with a BBA. He worked in Congress for a U.S. congressman, um, was a fellow, a Koch fellow at the TPPF, and has taught at universities and community campuses. He's just an expert in, um, in economics. And so I actually turn, I love to turn to TPPF when I have serious questions. But I really wanted to f- focus in on this announcement this week that um, President Trump has a new budget and he sent it over to Congress. And I have a list of 35 questions, so I hope you can talk fast. No, my first question really is, uh, in, in all seriousness, is that tech, uh, Treasury Secretary Steve Munchen, I'm not even sure I say his name correctly, says that the Trump— bu- Sorry? Mnuchin. Mnuchin. Okay, Mnuchin. Yeah, I was just testing you. That was very good. Okay. <laughs> Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin says the Trump budget proposal is the biggest tax cut and the largest tax reform in the history of the country. Is that true? 
I do think it's going to be huge, <laughs> or as Trump would say, it's going to be huge. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely think it's a pro-growth tax plan. Um, anytime we're talking about cutting the corporate tax rate from with currently 35%, the highest in the developed world, I mean, it's, it's just time for us to do that. Um, and this plan would cut it down to 15%, which would put, put us well below the European average of around 25%. Um, and then have substantial cuts to individual tax rates as well, where the highest tax rate would go from 39.6% down to 35% um, and reduce it from seven tax brackets to three income tax brackets. I mean, all the, so it's a, it's a combination of pro-growth and simplification. I think those, that's what we need to see to get us back on track from the slowest recovery that we've had since World War II of only 2.1%. I think this will do it. I love hearing all that, and that was really kind of my next question, but I'd love to have you uh, talk more about it, which was, you know, President Trump's campaign, which uh, was just unique in all of American history as well, but in his campaign, he talked a lot about, you know, I want not only to bring businesses back, I want to make it easier for businesses to grow, easier for businesses to hire people, easier for businesses to, it, to people to start new businesses. Is what he has in here, is he on the right track to really doing that? I think he is. I mean, as you know, businesses don't pay taxes. Businesses simply submit taxes. The ones who really pay for those taxes are the people through the form of higher prices, lower wages, and fewer jobs that are available. And so when you're talking about cutting the corporate tax rate from 35% down to 15%, which would be um, – so, so Germany has a rate of 16%, so we would be lower than them. Uh, right now we're near France. France has a tax rate of 34%, which we're even higher than them, uh, socialist France. Uh, imagine that. So this will get us back on track to capitalism that brings about the greatest amount of prosperity the world has ever known. Um, and so I think this is heading in the right direction. I think more jobs will be available. I mean, this is what – so I live here in Texas, and this is what we've really focused on is creating a low tax burden, less government spending, lower regulation. That's really what we call the Texas model. And it would be great if Trump could make – America looked more like Texas in the form of having more economic growth and prosperity. Amen to that. What is the impact, though, in this plan? And I love hearing all that you're saying. What is the impact of this plan on the lower income earners in America? Yeah, so I think there's a couple things. One would be, well, there's going to be more jobs available for them. So that way they can go and negotiate um, higher salaries and higher wages. I mean, you know, there's this talk about some of would want to raise the minimum wage, but I think it's a bad idea. Um, so what would really give them an opportunity to negotiate a higher wage? Well, if there's more opportunities out there, I mean, that's really what they can do and say, hey, look, I've got this experience. I've got this, um, these skills. This is why you should give me a higher salary instead of the government arbitrarily telling them what they should earn. Um, and in addition, when you see some of the regular, regulatory reform that the Trump administration has talked about, I think that's also – a good sign for all income earners, um, and then even the the lowest of the lowest bracket. When you look at this tax package, um, could see some benefits as well. When they're talking about having the lowest tax rate at 10 percent, um, it's currently at 10 percent. But whenever you look at some of the other reforms throughout the package, I think they would also benefit uh, quite substantially. Um, this is Jenny McGarry. I just have a quick question. We've also yes. often heard about how there was a uh, big uh, tax penalty for marriage. Do you see mm -hmm. this tax package addressing any piece of that, where we're looking at the cost of dependence and, and how the, the wage earner is uh, not necessarily penalized if they're married? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, that's one of the things right now is there's not a lot of details on what the level of income each one of these new brackets will be. There's some idea from whatever he's running in his campaign of what they could be, but there wasn't any specifics yet. Um, and so I'm not quite sure what that will be. I would, I would hope that it would make it even more simple. There has been a discussion of reducing the number of exemptions and deductions. And, um, you know, what actually just came to mind, one thing that would help them would, Trump talked about doubling the standard deductions. So that right yeah. there could reduce the tax liability, whether you're single or married. Mr. Ginn, this is Maurice Sullivan. You know, um, are all taxpayers going to have skin in the game with this proposal? I understand that at least 50 percent of Americans pay, pay zero federal income taxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And, and so I think I think they will. Um, with, when you raise the standard deduction, that means that some of them will will not have any tax liability. Um so it'll be interesting to see if maybe more of them will have some more skin in the game. Um, I think I think the details will have to be ironed out to see whether that or not that's the case. Uh, from my viewpoint, I would like to see them have more skin in the game. Um, if you're paying into the system, you're also more likely to be cognizant of what the government is doing. Exactly. And so that's one thing, and that's one thing we need to look at is not only on the tax side, but on the other side of the coin, the spending side. Yes. Uh, which I know in his budget blueprint, he's, he's looked at that quite a bit as well. I do want to talk about his spending side in one more second. And, and I know there's so much there, too. But I saw that uh, Donald Trump apparently spoke to his White House aides and he said he'd be willing to cut taxes, even if it meant adding to the deficit. Is that likely that with these with these tax raisers, it's just too hard to know because he hasn't tied yet the actual range of income to the rate to the rates? Well, <clears throat> I kind of refer back to what he was discussing during the primaries and during his general election, um, the tax foundation did a study on that tax plan, which cut the t- corporate tax rate to 15% and had a very similar setup to the three tax brackets that he's saying for individuals now. Um, and, and, and they scored it in a dynamic analysis of somewhere between 2.5 to $4 trillion increase in the debt over 10 years. Right. And um, in order for them to get this passed, uh, they would need a 60-vote count in the Senate. And if it could be where well, there's not going to be an additional deficit after 10 years, they would only need a simple majority of 51 votes. And so I, I think there's a lot of interest to get it to that point because then you could just you know, depend on the Republicans to vote for this, and you wouldn't have to have Democrats on board. Um, so that's, that's kind of the difficulty going forward. So I do think in the short run you would see a deficit, but with pro-growth reforms um, that this would be, you'd bring about more tax revenue over time. And I think we just really got to look at the spending side, too. I mean, it shouldn't just be revenue neutral. It should be budget neutral is what is really what I focus on. I love that. And I do want to jump in. We only have a minute left in this segment. There's something wrong with the clocks out here. The time just races. But um, there, is, there is discussion, obviously, a lot of discussion about what he has in his spending package. And he's talking about boosting uh, national defense spending, which is music to every conservative's ears, because we have actual concern about, um, you know, whether we are, are, have military readiness or we have accurate, uh, we have the, what we need, our military has with a need to win. Um, and this proposal would raise that. Um, what is it? By uh, I can't find it right here. By anyway, it would, be, it, said it would raise um, defense spending. So, isn't that going to be a big? You know, we're going to be out of time in this segment. Can you hold on during the break? Are you able to hold on during a break? 
Dr. Gannon? Sure, I am, yes. Oh, yeah. yes. Okay, good. Okay, so folks, here's the story. We come back after this quick break. I want to finish talking. I'm so grateful we have Dr. Van Skinner on the phone from Texas Public Policy Foundation, a PhD in economics, and understands Trump's budget better than we do sitting here. But I want to turn and just talk a little bit about spending because there is an increase targeted in President Trump's proposed uh Budget uh, increase on in national defense spending, uh, budget request of six hundred three billion. I just want to understand if are these numbers realistic? What's it going to What's it going to do to our budget? So, don't go away. We come back. We'll continue with Doctor Van Skin on Donald Trump's budget on America. Can we talk? America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. The National Center for Policy Analysis brings together the best and brightest minds to tackle the country's most difficult public policy problems in health care, taxes, retirement, education, energy, and now national security. The NCPA works to develop and promote private free market alternatives to government regulation and control, solving problems by relying on the strength of competition and the private sector. As America's think tank, the NCPA wants to make sure you have access to simple, clear solutions to the issues that matter to you. Come get to know the NCPA at one of their events and join the conversation by following them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. To get policy solutions delivered straight to your inbox, sign up for the NCPA free email newsletter or subscribe to one of their policy blogs. To get involved with America's Think Tank, go online today to ncpa.org. The NCPA would love your support and you'll love being part of the solutions to America's challenges. So go to ncpa.org. That's ncpa.org. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. 
That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie George Addis, my Right View Roundtable. Here with me this evening, Jenny McGarry, Mari Sullivan. And we have on the line uh, Dr. Vance Ginn, who is an economist, as a PhD economist with the Center for Fiscal Policy at one of the greatest think tanks in America, maybe the greatest, Texas Public Policy Foundation. And we're talking about this budget that uh, President Trump has submitted and, and is now being dissected and assessed. We talked about the tax cuts a little bit. I guess I want to just start with what is your sense about, I mean, he's got, he, Donald Trump, has put in, of course, uh, his spending priorities, defense, military readiness. Do you think he's, is he out there asking for more than he's going to get, or are these really realistic goals? I think these are great things to have on the table to start off with. I mean, this is what he's called it, his budget blueprint. So you've got to start off with a vision of where you want the future to head for, for the United States and what government should be doing. Um, and the one thing that the one role for government is to preserve liberty. <laughs> so what's the best way to do that? Well, that's to assure that we have a strong national defense. And I think that's what he's done. When you look at the three areas that have increased the most underneath his um, budget, it's the, it's the Department of Defense by 10 percent, veteran affairs by 5.9 percent, and homeland security by 6.8 percent. And basically that's about about $54 billion increase. And then there are a number of other agencies like the uh, Environmental Protection Agency, the Treasury um, Department, and so forth, that decreased by $54 billion. So essentially what you have is an increase in the defense area and a decrease in everything else, so that way there's no increase in the overall size of the budget. I love that. And you really are exactly right, Dr. Ginn, that he is targeting the things uh, that he said in his campaign and things that really are the primary job of the federal government, which is to keep America safe. So I'm thrilled about that. I did notice that there was discussion in his budget about cutting the uh, budget cuts to the State Department. Why is he picking on those poor people? No, I'm just kidding. But he, they're accustomed <laughs> to the State Department. But I thought there was a good line used actually by a, a competitor of yours, the, I mean of the um, TPPF, which is the Heritage Foundation. James Carafano had a statement essentially saying the cuts to the State Department budget proposed by the, in this bill um, represent a return to focusing taxpayer dollars on the business of true statecraft and away from funding global pet projects championed by the Obama administration. You agree with that? Interesting. 
I haven't seen that one, um, but that, I mean, that makes sense. You know, what we focus on at the, at the Texas Public Policy Foundation is a way to get more power back to the state and less at the federal level. And I think that's also what you're seeing with the Trump administration's budget blueprint, um, especially when you look at some of the things they're trying to do with, with health care. And I know there's some disagreements about the health care reform that's going through right now, um, but I know that in this latest round of discussions, there is more of an emphasis on putting more power back to the states. And I think that's really what we'll start to see hopefully more of. Um, and when we look at education, when we look at health care and so many of these key areas, that the government governs best that's closest to the people, not someone that's thousands of miles away up in Washington, D.C. And we've seen that for far too long when under the Obama administration, I mean, the national debt doubled from $10 trillion, now we're up to $20 trillion. Um, and just this year alone, we spent $250 billion to service the debt just on interest. And so that, that, that is crowding out other things that, we would, that I would argue would be better um, spent in other areas. I thank you so very much. I want to give you a chance. We're talking to Dr. Vanskin of TPPF. So I tout frequently on this show the Texas Public Policy website, Foundation's website, because you can go there and learn so much in the comfort of your own home. Learn about the budget. Learn about what was going on in Texas legislature. Learn about all, all the policy areas you focus on. So if you tell our listeners where your website is, what, what is it again? It's TexasPolicy.com? Com. Dot com. That's right. Yeah. Policy.com. We've got a, a lot of good information on there. They can also find us on Twitter with the handle at TPPF. Um, I'm on at Advance Gin, the A-N-C-E-G-I-N-N. Uh, we'd love to have your listeners come check us out. Okay. Dr. Ginn, thank you so much for calling in. I really, really appreciate that. Thank you, Debbie. Anytime. Okay, so we're going to turn now. This is our last segment, you know, that before the top of the hour, we often do a cruise to the news. And I hope we can get to that. But I do want to spend a moment um, in this first hour before we, because it's just two hours always race by. I just want to spend a moment talking about Heritage Foundation. Okay, we just hung up with Dr. Van Skin, who was with the Texas Public Policy Foundation, the premier state-based think tank in the United States of America. And that's not an exaggeration. They simply are. And on the federal level, there's another premier uh, think tank named the Heritage Foundation. Actually, both advertise on this program, Heritage Foundation and TPPF. And on and Heritage, there's been a lot in the news in the last few days, and I just want to uh, raise it and share some thoughts about it. And the news uh, that's being floated is that the current president, who is former Senator Jim DeMint, President Jim DeMint, is going to be uh, moved along before his contract expires. His contract is actually up this year. It was a five-year contract ending later in the year. Um, and that uh, the, for, the founder of Heritage Foundation, named Ed Fulner, is at least temporarily returning to take over. And there's all sorts of speculation about why. And I know a lot of people at Heritage. I went to law school in Washington. I know a lot of people in Washington who know a lot of people at Heritage. And so I've had it the last few days kind of full of conversations and texts and texts and emails, people sending uh, emails around. I just want to say this, you know, think tanks are vital. You can have a clear mindset, a conservative idea, a conservative framework, a paradigm about life, but to translate those ideas into something specific that is workable in America requires, especially given the complexity of every issue we face, the budget, 
the economy, the national security, uh, taxes, every issue we face. You have to translate conservative principles into workable ideas that, and, and have research performed that shows that these ideas work. You have to have experts who understand the way the system works, the way the, uh, the whatever the particular subject matter area is. And that's the beauty of think tanks. Texas Public Policy Foundation helps the Texas State Legislature, and Heritage Foundation helps Congress, the U.S. Congress. It helps people who are truly, in their hearts, conservative and going to Washington to, to carry out their conservative principles. It helps them get policies and ideas and substance that they can actually um, translate their principles into specific policies. Uh, Heritage has been stellar. For decades, they they, they are a, a the crown jewel of think tanks. So the founder of Heritage left Heritage in 2012 uh, as president and Ed Fulner and was taken over by Senator Jim Dement. I, I personally know both people. I will say that Senator Dement came in at a time in 2012 when America had just reelected President Obama for a second term at a time when you know many conservatives were like pull their hair out level concerned about America feel like it's just going down over the cliff in terms of socialism and big government and loss of our American values so a lot of what heritage did in the last few years was really a very activist role in in assessing and working with Congress very directly. In fact, Heritage has, to be clear, the Heritage Foundation, 501c3, that's the research part, has Heritage Action, 501c4, that's the activist part. Or the 501c4, Heritage Action, was actually formed under President Fulner when he was still the founder of, of Heritage, was still in charge in 2010. And that was designed to keep elected officials accountable to say, okay, we came up with policies, you know, we gave them to you, now come on here, here's what you could be doing, don't vote for this, vote for that. So Heritage Action has been very, very visible in this fight to repeal Obamacare. And there are some conservatives who are very upset about that and think it somehow has impeded the dignity or or demeaned the dignity somehow of the research on the Heritage Foundation because they've become so political like any other political animal in Washington. And I just want to say, I think Jim DeMint came to Heritage at a time that America was very concerned and we needed to have really intelligent, informed conservatives be very, very active in Congress and with Congress. So I'm grateful for his time at, at the Heritage Foundation. He's um, he's just a—he's uh, been on the show many times. He, he's a um, substantive, serious, thoughtful guy. And so I'm grateful for Senator DeMint. And whatever reason, I don't know all that's going on behind the scenes, but I'm grateful for his service to Heritage. Um, and I'm grateful, I guess, Ed Fulner is uh, coming back to Heritage for six months or so to take over. They work in their transition. But I don't think anyone should read into this that Heritage is going to pull, pull away from their activism in Congress. I think they might be drawing a clearer line. They might be having a clear line. The research side is Heritage Foundation. And the activity side is Heritage Action, and we may be a clearer line between them. But Heritage Action pretty much saved America from the ridiculously poor first draft at repealing Obamacare put forward by Paul Ryan. So I, for one, am grateful for all of them. I just want to say we America has been greatly blessed by Heritage Action, Heritage Foundation, Ed Fulner, and Jim DeMint. And there's even some rumor floating around on the Internet. I can't believe it could be true, but someone's talking about whether Steve Bannon may even come into Heritage. That's just a rumor. I've not heard that from anyone of my connections to Heritage, but that's kind of floating around. So, okay. Just God bless Heritage Foundation to summarize that. So now we really have time for one cruise for the news story. Um, 
And I don't know what. Let's just do O'Reilly. Okay, we sure. only have time for one. We have a minute and a half here. So Bill O'Reilly, let go by Fox after all this time. Why don't we each take 30 seconds? Did you have some reaction to that? I did. It made me think uh, there's a cautionary tale here. He would still have his job if he had um, Mike Pence's prudence. He would have avoided <laughs> the appearance of impropriety, and he would uh, not be in this position of losing his job. Yeah. The thing is, is I don't think it's all shaken out yet. We still don't know everything that's happened. It's hard. I mean, you know, clearly Fox wouldn't have paid out that much money if, if there wasn't something. So, but what it was and what the situation is, there's no transparency into this issue. Oh, yeah. We're going to have a long time before we know all the details. You know, I have to say my labor lawyer background kicked in a little bit. Um, so he... Was there over 20 years, Bill O'Reilly, you know, O'Reilly factor 20 years, and apparently over some period of years, Fox has paid out in the range of $13 million plus to, um, to deal with claims of sex harassment by various women who were around him at the workplace. On the one hand, I love women being in positions of power and, and, and success and achievement, and I don't like them having to put up with a guy who's kind of is just a pig. Sorry. And no one wants that. On the other hand, I think all of the left-wing mob that went after O'Reilly and went after the advertisers and caused advertisers to pull away from Fox, that left-wing mob shut their left-wing mouth about President Clinton. Somehow everything Clinton did for eight years didn't matter to them. They just saw vulnerability. They saw someone they could attack and they went for it. That's the part I don't like. I don't like that it was really two different standards for Clinton and O'Reilly. But having said that, um, we'll come back after the break and we're good. <laughs> and we're so glad you joined us on America Can We Talk. Come back after the break. <laughs> 